Welcome to The Rant. I'm your host, Herman James. And on today's episode, Betty Westbrook and I will be talking about lymphedema. This part of the podcast is brought to you by Libsyn. Are you looking to start a podcast or want to know where to move your podcast to to get the best possible outcome? Libsyn is the top-rated host for your podcast. Use promo code HERMAN for your first month free. Okay, everybody. So lymphedema is a disorder, disease, diagnosis, however you want to put it, that a majority of people like myself didn't know much about. It is in my personal life. It is something that is very near to me and something I wanted to share with everybody else. This episode is a little bit different because it was a learning experience for me. It was about something I didn't know about and I learned as we kind of went along. This is a disorder that actually... Uh, about 5 million Americans suffer from. A majority of people don't know they even have it. So talking to Betty was a really good uh, knowledge and learning base for me to start out on. And I think everyone else is going to enjoy it. She was a great guest. And make sure to support her as well. Check out her social media and her website, lymphedemapodcast.com. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate everything you guys have done for the rant. Uh, Today's episode, as the introduction said, is a little bit different than usual. Today, I have a lymphedemia certified uh, therapist online who's going to talk to us a little bit more about a disease that is new to me, that is new to my family, and something I want to find out more about, and turns out the country does as well. Uh, How are you doing, Betty? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Surviving the uh, Sacramento not 110 degree heat today, so it's not bad. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's super hot in Texas, so I'm right there with you. Well, you guys also have the humidity. It's a, a little bit of a different world down there. Yeah, the humidity makes it just feel like you walked outside and elephant sat on you. <laughs> I can get along with that. I stayed up in Amarillo for some time, so by the time I'd walk outside, I would have to change my shirt by the time I got to the car. It was bad. Awesome. Did you have the big steak when you were in Amarillo? Um, I did at the Big Texan. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, didn't actually buy that there because I found that to be a ridiculousness of a steak and a little more than I could possibly eat. But my uncle did say everyone that comes from every other state wants to try to see if they can do it. I was uh, not that well versed in trying to do it. But he did say uh, it was a good thing to try because... At the time, I was a junior Olympic wrestler, so he thought it'd be a good idea to have as much protein as possible. I disagreed, and uh, we had fried food instead. <laughs> Even better. It worked out all right. All right. So, Betty, you are a physical therapy assistant and a certified lymphedema therapist. How did you uh, get into doing all this, and uh, what kind of drove you into getting there? Well, I went to a meeting that had free lunch. That's really what got me there. (laughs) And in the meeting, they basically said, hey, we're having a lot of patients with lymphedema. It was a one-man show at that point, and she was just having a really hard time keeping up with the demand. And I enjoyed the free lunch and the free cookie, and I volunteered to come help. And (laughs) basically, what ended up happening is I thought I was just helping, you know, here and there, weekends, evenings, something like that. 
And by the next morning, they came in and said, hey, you have to go get certified. We need to transfer you to this department. It was a whole thing. I thought I was just kind of helping out and getting extra hours, to be honest. Um, But fast forward, um, I took my certification course in November of 2016. And little did I know it was going to be something that I would be extremely passionate about. And I remember being in just my certification course and just writing down all these notes like, we need to start a support group. We need to start educating and the community. We need to start educating the doctors. So I got into it by accident, but it was completely on purpose because I've become very passionate about it since taking that course. So just for those who don't have a medical background and don't understand, I guess Latin, I guess the best way for that to understand what lymphedema is. My background is in kinesiology. Uh, so it, to me, I'm just assuming it is the swelling of the lymphatic system. But what is lymphedema? So lymphedema specifically is a chronic condition or chronic swelling that is either something someone is born with or someone develops it later from an injury when there's a damage to the lymphatic system. And one way I like to explain it to new people in the clinic or in the community about it is if you think of a conveyor belt and there's a hundred workers working on this conveyor belt, you know, they're all keeping up with shoes or whatever's being made on this conveyor belt. And so everything's fine. That's a healthy lymphatic system. Someone calls in sick, which is an injury or something like that to the lymphatic system. You can kind of do okay. But eventually it becomes everybody's overworked, everyone's kind of tired, and those shoes start stacking up or backing up. And so you may have an injury to the lymphatic system, and for a while your body can do okay. But eventually with time, with um, different physical impacts or elements or whatever you want to call it, your lymphatic system can become overwhelmed. And what was managing it isn't going to cut it anymore. And so in the case of people who have cancer treatment or paralysis or some sort of really traumatic injury, that swelling can either occur soon soon after the injury or years later because that lymphatic system is overwhelmed and that fluid doesn't know to go somewhere else. The body doesn't know to say, hey, that arm is being really overworked right now. We really need to send some of that fluid somewhere else. Your body just naturally produces it just like blood. And so if you are born with it, it's often a abnormal development. And so when you're born, or I should say when you're growing, when you're being formed in the (laughs) womb, those lymphatic vessels just don't form like they are intended to. So there are some mothers who can have a sonogram and doctors can see the swelling in the sonogram um, on their child because even there, their lymphatic system wasn't working. Now, is this something that is going to be considered hereditary or was it congenital? It can be both hereditary, um, congenital. If you have a, I'm trying to think of the exact one. I know like Fox 4, so there's some genetic factors that they can test for. And then you have a possibility of passing it down to your children and your bloodline. And some people are just born with it because it's an abnormal growth or just an abnormal malformation or however you want to call it of that lymphatic system when you are growing and it may not be genetic 
Okay. Now, do they know if it is genetic, if it is a hereditary or recessive trait? I did do a little bit of research on that specific question because I myself wasn't sure. And from what I found, you just have a 50-50 chance. So it's not necessarily dominant or recessive. Okay. And now for my understanding from some of the research I've looked at and some of the FAQs I've found online, uh, the idea of it being congenital typically means that it is going to be a later adult onset, typically in the late 30 uh, range for most people that are going to have it. Is that something more frequent that you would see? Or is that just something I found on the internet that someone shouldn't have put up there? <laughs> uh, it's actually both. So I do see quite a few patients who I believe that one is called lymphedema tarda, which means it develops after what they consider puberty. Um, they consider adolescents up to age 34, and then adults are 35 and older. So um, I see a lot of patients who have it 35 and older, but specifically, um, I think you're more aware of that swelling when you're 35 and older. So the lymphedema tarda. Okay. And now specifically when it came into my life is my significant other had a swelling of her ankle and she is 32. So the swelling of the ankle for her, she thought when she went to her physician and the physician told her that he was positive that she had a blood clot and the blood clot itself had tracked up the actual vein, causing damage, which was essentially causing the uh, blood in the vascular system not to be able to be pumped up the limb and that they would be essentially able to cauterize it and the body typically is going to reroute blood itself. Uh, after years of questioning it and not getting good answers, she uh, pushed and pushed and found them to be able to give her a referral over to, I think she actually went to a uh, surgeon and the surgeon's the one that diagnosed it with an inoperable lymphedema. And a lot of women develop that during or after pregnancy. I don't know if that's the situation here. It is um, not. But, okay. So sometimes that happens with women during pregnancy and they're like, I don't know why you're swelling. It's just part of pregnancy. And then others, it's a, in her case then, that she had a compromised lymphatic system. I'm speaking as if I know her whole situation. <laughs> but I would say, um, usually if you develop it later in life, you had a compromised lymphatic system from malformation at birth. And so if, so, okay, so I'm 29. Say I went and had like a lymphoscintography to where they tracked my lymphatic system. Right now, I do not have lymphedema. And no one would know to go look for it because that's just a crazy thing that no one would think that's ever going to happen if they're normal and healthy. But so say right now I go and get it looked at. They would probably be able to find, if I was going to develop lymphedema later, they would be able to see that malformation in my body. And then I could wear compression. But no one thinks to do that because who's like, hey, I'm a pretty healthy grown adult. I'm going to have some crazy chronic illness show up in my 30s. So um, in that case, you're just, I hate to say it. I think it's just bad luck because you live a perfectly healthy life and it's not more for men or more for women or more for kids or more for adults. It's just crappy luck. It's kind of how I explain it to my patients, which probably doesn't make them feel much better. 
No, because everyone wants a magic pill or a surgery or something that is going to be able to cure, not treat something. They also want to have some belief system that it wasn't just shit luck on their part in order to come down with something that they don't feel they were deserved to have. Not that anyone ever is deserved to have something happen to them in a negative manner, but they want to be able to have a cause and effect. This caused this, therefore that's going to happen. So like you yep. said, if you've been healthy, you work out, you have a good diet, things go fine. Then all of a sudden you have a chronic swelling of an, leg, a foot, a head, lymphedema, from my understanding, it's not specific to one portion of the body. It can be everywhere. So it can be everywhere. And I will say this, that if it is secondary lymphedema, meaning it's caused from an injury, cancer treatment, paralysis, something like that, it generally does not spread. It will usually stay in that region because your body has these really cool things called watersheds. And essentially every region has its own flow. So it sounds ridiculous and totally crazy to say, but if my arm is swollen, it can't swell so much to the point to where my other arm then starts to swell. Does that make sense? It does. And I would think in my way of thinking, it wouldn't necessarily be that your left arm has lymphedema, therefore the right arm is going to have it. I would think it would spread across your chest, your back or something that way, kind of go into the whole system. Almost like if you think of um, if someone has a very bad injury, you want to amputate before gangrene spreads to the rest of the body. Yep. So that one actually is correct, what you're saying there, because... That region is the front of the breast, if we're talking about upper extremity, the front of the breast, the back, like the scapula, and then down to like the end of the ribs. That whole region can swell. So yeah, you're dead on with that. Now, you said that's predominantly for secondary lymphedemia. So if someone has a traumatic injury or something that's going to go to it, uh, what about the lymphedemia tarda, the one that's going to be adult onset? Is that something that can actually spread or is known to spread? if not treated or maintained, or uh, does that even matter? There is a possibility that both extremities can later be affected. And I've actually known individuals who, you know, they were, they had one leg swell. However many years later, the next leg will swell. And 10, 20 years later, they have swelling in their hands or upper extremities. Because when you have a lymphatic malformation, it can be systemic but it starts in one region before affecting the rest of it or appearing in the rest of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that makes sense for it. So it has a possibility of spreading. Does the idea of keeping uh, compression wear on, does that help prevent it from swelling? Or is that just an idea of trying to prevent any increased uh, pain or injury to that localized area? Are you asking about the leg that is swollen or the leg that could swell? Um, I guess just the one that would be currently affected. So if you have to wear a compression stocking or a glove or sleeve, whatever it might be, would that keep that particular area from spreading upward and inward? Or is it just more for pain management? It would probably be more for pain management because, because lymphedema garments are a gradient compression, meaning they're tighter towards the foot and they're less tight towards the thigh, you're going to be moving that fluid up 
in the upward motion centrally to the body so that it can be absorbed and put back into circulation. So basically, you pee it out. That's how you get rid of it. It goes back into circulation. You get rid of it. Um, if you are sending it upward in the body, there is a chance that it could kind of collect um, in the groin region or in the abdomen region, um, causing some additional swelling. So the compression garment for sure is a lifesaver for so many reasons because without the compression garment, that limb will continue to swell because your body makes three to five liters of lymphatic fluid a day and it's just distributed throughout your entire system. So if you're not wearing it, your leg's just going to get bigger. And if you do wear your compression, it does help with pain. It does help with volume. Um, but I wouldn't say that it would necessarily lead to swelling anywhere else other than in the top of that region, like we kind of talked about in the groin or in the abdomen, because that's okay. part of that region. Okay. So now the idea for the basic knowledge for me of what lymphedema was and is, is essentially just that you are going to have excess fluid and swelling in that shank or limb or wherever it might be located for. Now, besides just having increased swelling to the area are there other side effects that could come in with it along with just the swelling and of course the pain of swelling that goes along with uh, lymphedema right and i'm glad you mentioned the pain um because it's almost a myth i i don't have lymphedema myself but i've heard other patients say you know my doctor always tells me lymphedema isn't painful and they're like bullshit <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. extremely painful actually because imagine your hand filling up like a balloon and you're trying to grab something or write or whatever. And it's extremely painful whenever, I mean, I just think about like smash my finger. It's painful for me to bend it when it's swollen. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned pain because that is a legitimate symptom related to lymphedema. Um, some other side effects are textural or skin changes. If you have a lot of swelling, that, fluid wants to go somewhere. It wants out. It wants relief. So um, papillomatosis is like a big word for basically um, little pockets that kind of form. And I don't want to offend anyone who's going to listen to this and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she just said I have warts on my leg. But just think about like, you know, like um, Wizard of Oz, the witch has like that mole thing on her nose. So basically, it's just a bunch of those little bubbles of that fluid, papillomatosis or papillomas, that come to the surface of the skin because it found like an opening or a soft spot in the skin, and it just kind of bubbles out. But the good thing is, when you have compression or if you're in bandaging, um, you can push the fluid out of the papillomas, and so they eventually do go flat. But okay. um, they're not pretty. They usually leak a little bit or um, get like some dry skin on them. So that's worst case scenario. Generally stages three, late stage two, you can get it. Now, what are the stages you're referring to? Okay. So stages are zero, one, two, and three. Um, stage zero is in the case of secondary lymphedema. It's called latency stage. And basically that just means you've had an insult to your lymphatic system through biopsy or radiation, mastectomy, and you can't visibly see the lymphedema, 
but maybe a ring fits tight or when you put a jacket on your jacket is a little bit tight or your arms a little bit heavy but if you were to look at them side by side you cannot tell the difference but you can feel a difference because it's all internal okay stage one would then be lymphedema so i like to talk about feet for these stages after that but it can also be in the arms or um, anywhere else so stage one in a lower extremity would be like if you have a busy job and you're up on your feet a lot by the end of the night your feet are swollen your legs are heavy you know they're real tired but then when you go to bed kick your shoes off elevate a little bit you wake up in the morning and your feet are fine that's usually stage one where the swelling comes and goes with rest or elevation Stage two is whenever you get that swelling and then when you rest or elevate, it doesn't go anywhere. It's still there when you wake up in the morning and that can get bigger. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be just mild. It can also be a little more significant. And then stage three is what we called, uh, what we call elephantiasis, which basically means that it has scarring, thick skin changes, um, big, lobules. I mean, it's really um, severe lymphedema is how we would describe. And those are really the pictures that you see on Google when you type in lymphedema. You see yeah, a lot of elephantitis. that's the crap that's on there to scare people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's real life and that's, I have patients who look like that and I've met people who have legs or arms that look like that. But man, I get so many people in the clinic who are like, I Googled this. Don't let me, don't, I mean, save me. They're like basically yeah. just like begging for someone to save them. I'm like, you, you, you have mild swelling. You are going to be fine. But Google is just, I think, just there to scare the heck out of everybody, yeah. really. It's like WebMD. No matter what you search on WebMD, you have cancer and you're going to die. In like two days. Yeah. It's like, a, it's imminent. Death is upon us now. Time to go. Yeah. And honestly, so you and I kind of discussed this earlier. I have a podcast, Lymphedema Podcast. And the whole purpose of me starting Lymphedema Podcast is to tell people you are not going to die. Nice. If you have cancer and you have lymphedema, cancer will kill you first. You are not going to necessarily die from lymphedema if you take action. There are people who have had severe infections and other things that have occurred. But physically, just from the lymphedema, it does not have to turn into a death sentence. Nice. Now, when you talk about infections, now the common idea for treatment of it is I see a lot of things that all say lotion daily and I get a little bit of like Buffalo Bill. It puts lotion on the skin and gets the hose again. So I laugh about that a little bit because to me it's funny, but it is lotion and stay away from sharp objects. So in my head, all I'm thinking that the treatment for this on a regular basis is put lotion on, lather yourself up, put on a compression stocking or sleeve, and then stay away from sharp objects. So now women aren't supposed to shave their legs or to get pedicures and manicures because that has a potential issue if there were to be some sort of nick or cut. I'm also looking at things thinking, can if they get a cut, can this actually rupture? And kind of pus out or ooze out. And then because of my training for running, if it is on the legs or arms, 
I would assume that if the swelling gets too immense, you have a possibility of losing your nails. Like downhill runners lose their toenails because all of that pressure going downhill. A crappy side effect, but it's true. Are any of these a uh, reality of what can happen uh, with lymphedema? Yes, those are actual realities. Do you want to start getting paid for listening to podcasts, especially The Rant? I know you do. It's free money and why not do it? Download the PodCoin app. It's free for Androids or iPhones. Use the code The Rant to get 300 points right off the bat for downloading the app. You can turn the points into free gift cards for Starbucks, Target, and a whole bunch of other things. Things are added every day for doing what you're already doing listening to podcasts. Download the PodCoin app or check out thehermanjames.com for links. And don't forget to use the promo code The Rant for your free 300 points. So I'm going to try to work backwards. Um, <laughs> so you can lose your nails from the swelling. Um, I know some who say, you know, they lost a big toe or they lost a particular nail on their hand or something like that. Um, I've only had one patient in particular who has lost their nails. And what happened is they had a skin infection and it wasn't necessarily cellulitis. Um, I can't actually say the word, so I'm going to not embarrass <laughs> myself. Um, they had a superficial skin infection that caused a lot of weeping. So weeping is essentially when that lymphatic fluid has an out and it just drains. So it's not thick and oozy. It's not pus. It's just like your legs are crying. It just kind of just rolls out steadily. So in this case, lots and lots of bandages, daily changing of these bandages, but still her feet would get soaking wet to the point to where it almost looked like she was always in the bathtub. You know, like your fingers get pruny when you've been in the pool or something. So she basically had that going on. And then her big toes, the rest of her toes did fine. Her big toes specifically started to peel, started to, um, I don't even know the right words probably for it, but looked funky. And so we would, she would trim it back. She didn't have diabetes or anything like that. So we weren't worried about like trimming her nails and she would trim it back a little bit. And then um, the underside of the nail bed would just get really red. It was just basically oversaturated and the fluid was looking for a way out because anytime you have an infection, you're increasing that lymphatics work because Mm -hmm. the lymphatics job is to remove toxins and waste from your body. So if you already have lymphedema, your legs are swollen and now you have an infection, your lymphatic system is working 100 times harder than it usually is. And it's just trying to find a way to get it out. So she did end up losing her nails. Um, podiatrist came out, trimmed them back. Um, after compression and that infection was gone and everything healed up, she's had no other problems. So it is a possibility. I'm not going to say it's extremely common, but it is a possibility. Now, did hers grow um, back or were they permanently gone? They're growing back. So like it was just trimmed very low down on the nail bed. And she still has some toenail there, but I don't, I'll keep you updated. I'm not really (laughs) sure what it's going to look like in six weeks or six months. 
Yeah, because that was something I was, I, I didn't see anything in any research or treatments or preventative measures that actually specifically addressed that. But just by deduction, you'd assume swelling around the area would cause a nail bed to kind of push out and potentially have that kind of an effect. I would generally say that if you are managing the swelling with compression, um, either bandaging or a compression garment of some sort, you can get that fluid down pretty well to where you're not having too much pressure on the nail bed. Um, and that it would probably more of a situation where you have a lot of moisture that would cause that nail to kind of pull back from the nail bed. Okay. Now, what about, um, we talked about any sort of injuries or cuts or ruptures or things like that or bruising or what might happen? So I'm going to talk first specifically about the manicures and pedicures. If you have a manicurist or nail tech or someone that you've been going to for a long time, um, someone who you can kind of discuss your situation with, you can still enjoy self-care, a manicure, a pedicure, whatever. Um, I have a friend of mine and she has lymphedema. Um, she was actually a patient and then became my friend. And I remember I took her out to get her nails done before her first grandbaby was born. And we were getting manicures. And I just remember I just kept staring over at her <laughs> and her nail tech like, oh, my gosh, don't poke her. Don't poke her. And I kept telling them, hey, you know, you really like you can – you can clean up her nails, whatever, but just try not to cut her, you know, just be careful. And if you kind of explain that to them, and I also know of some who take their own uh, supplies, you know, like a file and a, I do my nails, but I don't know what any of the words are. If you take the things that you need, like the clippers and the trimmers and all this stuff, and that way, you know, they're clean and sanitary and your nail tech is careful. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, you can still enjoy that. When's um, the last time you sanitized your own nail equipment? That's actually funny because I <laughs> spray mine down with, um, I use witch hazel and that's usually like an astringent or like a topical cleanser. And I just have a bottle of witch hazel that I use to like spray on my face every night. And I usually just spray them. I know that's weird, but I also have seen crazy things. So <laughs> yeah. I do I do spray mine down. I don't like wash them or steam them or boil them or anything. You know, like put them in barbersaw like spray. a barbershop wood or something and have them hanging out in yeah. there. No, I don't have like an uh what is it, an enclave or something in my oh, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I just I just kind of spray it down or I don't know. Okay. I'm just kind of a germaphobe myself. Um, so yeah, you can definitely enjoy some self-care like that. When it comes to shaving your legs, okay, you can shave your legs. Some women say to use like an electric razor. And I am one of those people who, if I'm going to tell you to do it, I'm going to test it out first. And I hate trying to shave my legs with the electric razor. <laughs> I feel like it kind of leaves some stubble. Um, and it's not really smooth and it, it's, I don't know, it's just not even comfortable necessarily to try to shave anyways. And it seems to take a lot longer. It does. Uh, as a guy that uses straight razors and electric razors on my face, if I use a straight razor, it is 
a shave that is smooth, that is fine. If I use an electric razor, it is like almost, it's not five o'clock shadow, so I guess I can call it like three o'clock shadow. But if you run your hands down it, you still feel that there's a grain to it. It's not yes. fully smooth. Yes. So I have talked to some other women who do use the electric razor and they say, you know, it's better than having hairy legs, like two inch hairs on my leg. I would rather have a little stubble <laughs> and a little, you know, rough patch, like, but I don't want to be able to braid it. So I would say electric razor all the way. If that is something that you have trouble with, um, women can get home um, to shave underarms, legs, wherever you really need to do any self care. So I would say electric razor just because when you have lymphedema, if you get a cut, and this is the whole um, importance of avoiding any breaks in the skin. So it's not just sharp objects, which when you said that, I just thought about like kindergartners running with scissors. (laughs) Yes. Sharp objects basically mean you want to avoid any breaks in the skin. Um, People who work out in their yard, people who have animals, people who, you know, have a hard job, I guess. I don't know what that really means by hard (laughs) job, but like something where you do intense labor, you're more likely to get cuts or scratches. Um, Your lymphatic system is your first line of defense. Technically your skin is, but right underneath that is your lymphatic system. So if there's a break in your skin, your lymphatic system is then supposed to alert your body to an injury, to a break in the skin. But if your lymphatic system is already compromised, it is a protein-rich fluid. Usually it's a little bit warmer than the rest of your body. And so it's basically a hyperactive breeding ground for any bacteria that gets in there. So even though you might clean your skin just fine every night, if you get a little cut in there and there's a little debris that kind of stays, your lymphatics isn't able to get to it as fast because it's more surface area than on your healthy arm. So it's like a five car pile up on the highway versus a wreck on a two lane road. It takes a lot longer for the emergency systems to get there. So that's why it's not recommended to do things like shave your legs and whatever could give you a cut or break the skin. Um, Lotion doesn't necessarily do the trick. So the pH balancing lotion that they talked about is good to help with like surface area bacteria, but in general, uh, just lathering yourself up and walking out and like, I'm ready to go. I'm all lotioned up. Um, <laughs> that's not necessarily going to do the trick. Uh, if you have an infection from your cat scratch or something, you need to go see your doctor or if it's significant enough, you probably need to get to the emergency room. Because your lymphatic system, that infection in your lymphatic system can turn into cellulitis. And cellulitis is a skin infection, but it has to be fought from the inside out. Um, Neosporin and any other antibacterial, something that you're going to put on the outside of your body, isn't going to cut it. Because it's almost like a... Oh my gosh, what did the Titanic hit? An iceberg. iceberg. It's almost like an iceberg. <laughs> um, the infection is way worse underneath, and you're just seeing the top layer. And so you need to get in there before it turns septic, which can cause organ failure and just your whole body to shut down, and the infection can spread rapidly. So that's the big scary 
spiel on an infection. But if your doctor understands lymphedema, you can generally call and say, hey, I nicked my finger the other night making dinner and now up to my wrist is red and swollen. And they're going to call you in an oral antibiotic and you can start taking that. If it's something much more severe and you're like, hey, my whole arm is extremely swollen. It's really hot. It's really painful. I've got a fever. They're going to say get to the emergency room because you need an IV antibiotic. Mm-hmm. But that's now, really the big scare with the cuts. And, okay. Now, uh, on the lotioning idea of it, besides looking like Stewie Griffin going to the pool, um, I would assume the idea is also that you have severe contraction and swelling of the actual uh, skin itself. So by keeping it moisturized, you're actually keeping it from having an actual break or rupture in the skin itself. And you're kind of preventing it for doing that as well. Yep. So now the other extreme that I was curious about uh, would be a rupture. Is it possible to have the whole thing blow up like a balloon? Yes. So that's the scary thing. Like that's what you're looking That's what you're seeing when you Google lymphedema generally. You're seeing what's more than likely a stage three or a very late stage two where it's almost stage three. And the skin is just so full that it does kind of start to rupture or start to leak. Um, That's why there's skin changes whenever you have uh, severe lymphedema is that the skin itself starts to thicken almost as a way for containing it. So there are instances where the skin can rupture, but it's not in my experience, which I could be totally wrong because I just maybe haven't seen it yet. In my experience, it's not like splitting a watermelon in half. I mean, it's not just going to rip the whole leg or the whole arm open. It's usually just like a crack in the skin. And then that starts to leak and then once that starts to leak it's just hard to close it up so then it can kind of spread um but yes it can rupture but no it's not quite traumatic as you might be thinking so we're looking at essentially that it's going to enlarge in it's going to have retaining fluid within it it's almost going to have like a calcification of the skin and then that calcification area is going to kind of split and you're going to kind of have a weeping out of that is that about right that's about right Okay. Now, for people that have lymphedema, when it comes to any normal daily activities, now, of course, uh, my significant other is in a very situation that her doctor isn't comfortable with because she is a kindergarten teacher. So when you think about kindergartners running with scissors and things of that nature, she's in the classrooms with these kids. She's at low table. She's on her feet 24-7. She's going to run into things. She's going to hit a table. She's going to have kids running into her. Our two dogs, Lexi and Lucy, are going to kind of jump off of her. And before this diagnosis, she was very, we call it a uh, peachy. So she would bruise like a peach because they would jump off her hip in the disinfected hip too. So is this now something with people with lymphedema for the infected areas, whether it's a hip, ankle, knees, arms, are they more prone to having bruising and varicose veining or is there going to be... Like you said, it's a, the lymphatic system is one of your primary resources for defense. Is it going to slow down or even diminish the ability to repair yourself and heal from any sort of small injury? 
Yes. So it will slow down that healing process. Um, I don't know necessarily the impact that varicose veins will play. I know that varicose veins is more of a cardiovascular abnormal malformation. Um, and there's a cardiovascular relationship with lymphedema, especially in the lower extremities. But I don't know that lymphedema increases varicose veins or causes varicose veins. And as far as bruising, I don't think I've seen that either in my experience. Okay. So we've kind of gone through a little bit of the, and there's my dogs, a little bit of the kind of what is it? How does one get it? Are you able to check for it? Is it hereditary? And kind of the side effects of having it there. Now, the other idea that we have kind of touched on a little bit is the curability and treatment. Um, from my understanding, this is not a curable disease. Is that correct? There's currently no cure. You're correct. Okay. So now we're looking at essentially treatment because the only prevention you could have really is just knowing beforehand. Um, I would also assume with the way that our system is set up, the way that science has worked out, we will and do have the ability currently available to a very, very select few people who have the money to play with genetics and alter your system to maybe negate that having to happen. But to the rest of the world, that's not an ability. There's no real way of preventing it. Um, is there anything that you have that's different than that? No, I'd say that's about right. And I know that they're doing a whole lot of studies and research right now on genetic factors. Um, like you said, splicing the DNA and all mm -hmm. that stuff is not really something that is available to most people. Um, and I don't know where they're at in that. Um, I know that they have been doing some um, pharmaceutical testing on reversing lymphedema um, or managing or decreasing. And there's also surgical approaches to help with the size and volume and transfer of like lymph, uh, lymph nodes. And so they can do a lymph node transfer where it helps to move that fluid out. They can do a bypass where they basically take the lymphatic vessel and drop it into a vein. So you bypass the system of having to use the lymphatics to get it up to the heart. Um, you just send it right back up with the vein and the deoxygenated blood. So outside of surgical, which is more likely from more likely to be a possibility for the average person outside of like genetic splicing and modifications. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. And now talking to a surgeon in regard to this, even if they were to remap the lymphatic system or reroute the vascular system to help decrease the swelling, uh, I believe they said it's almost a 50, 50 shot. Uh, that it is going to come back or even more so uh, due to the genetic makeup of it. It's not that you're bypassing a leaky gate, which is what they initially thought my significant other had was essentially one of the leaky gates. For those of you that aren't familiar with how the vascular system works, when it's going uphill, you actually have what are essentially trap doors that stop it from segments from going back down by gravity. So they assume that because there was a blood clot in the system, that maybe one of those doors had been uh, left open and couldn't close again. So if they cauterized the vein, it would be able to essentially go around that area. Now, if that were to happen, he said, in extreme cases, if they have to do surgery, typically more of a dire situation, but there is a good chance that it will reoccur in that same area. 
Yeah. And it's definitely not a cure. It's more to help. Um, if you have frequent infections, it's a really good option to bypass that area where you may have frequent cellulitis episodes. Um, and you can improve your quality of life. Basically. Um, it doesn't prevent you from having the swelling. It doesn't I don't want to say it doesn't significantly reduce swelling because I have seen cases where the limbs almost look the same size, but you're right. It's not for everyone and it won't have the same results for everyone. Unless it is something that a physician or a specialist deems to be necessity, most insurances aren't going to cover it either because they're going to consider it a vanity thing. Almost like if you were to get um, a lap band idea or calf implants. I joke about calf implants a lot. Um, or breast <laughs> implants. It's more of something that you're looking for aesthetics and insurance companies don't want to pay for that. Yeah. So the main idea I see along with a lot of this is treatment. So we've talked about, uh, compression clothing. Now, before this, the only compression clothing I ever known of is women wear spanks. And we laugh about a lot because it is, in my opinion, when it comes to that, that's false advertising for women. It's like if a guy walks out with a cod piece or a rolled up sock in his junk and he, you guys end up after a date or two or three or whatever it might be for anyone's personal choice on that one. And the guy gets out and he takes off his shoes and now he's not really six foot tall. He's actually like five, 10, five, nine. He's not hung. He's actually like a fucking baby carrot. And now you're upset. So it's what I, that's what I know Spanx as it Spanx is what tucks the women in. And once they take off the eyelashes and the makeup and that comes off, you look at like, you're not the same person I went to bed with. You've, you've changed a little bit. So <laughs> that's where I come into not knowing what really we're out there for compression wear and now being a little more well versed in it, seeing what they have in there. And my significant other who had been purchasing uh, compression wear for her swollen leg that she was assumedly going to be able to have surgery to cure to find out that it's not a thing. So from we our understanding, she went from essentially flesh toned compression stockings to having her physician say, you need to go buck wild and have outrageous colors and designs and things that we didn't even know existed. Now, you have a few episodes on compression clothing and have a better idea of it than I would have. So can you kind of give listeners a little bit of idea of what we're talking about when it comes to compression clothing, uh, the different designs? So do you have to only buy ones that look like your skin tone? Are you able to conceal it under other regular clothing and uh, that kind of idea? Yeah. So there's actually quite a lot of options for your compression. Um, I will say that when, when it comes to treatment, the best thing to do is to find a certified lymphedema therapist that can get you in the cycle of skincare, exercise, manual lymphatic drainage, and compression. And the foundation of that is compression bandaging, which is not easy to conceal, and it's not cute, and it's not pretty. But that is really the foundation to decongest to get the fluid out of that limb. And then you can go into compression garments like thigh highs, pantyhose, 
leggings, knee highs, whatever variation of compression that you need. And I remember you saying that your significant other has ankle swelling. Correct. So it could be likely that she could get some funky pairs of tall socks if it is not affecting her thigh or her knee too much. And it's really just confined to the lower extremity. She could get some funky socks that have closed toe or open toe, depending on if her toes swell. And you can pair that with whatever you want. You can cover that up with leggings um, that aren't compression. So I will say that for lower extremity lymphedema, it is recommended to wear 30 to 40 millimeters of mercury pressure. So 30 to 40 is the pressure grade. Um, I think it's actually called grade two. Um, it might be grade three. I might be off a little bit on my numbers there. But the gradient compression is important because it's tighter at the foot and not as tight up towards the central of the body. So you have different colors, different prints, different styles that you can wear so that it doesn't just look like you're an old lady with blood clots. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. So you can get all kinds of things. I personally sell um, Juzo compression garments um, here in our community. They do not have lymphedema compression um, sold in our DMEs and our pharmacies or anything like that. So for a lot of our patients who don't have coverage, if they're Medicare patients or if they just can't afford um, whatever it is, I will sell them at cost compression garments through Juzo is the company I use. And Juzo has seasonal colors. So you have spring and you have fall colors. They have prints. You can do tie-dye. You can do solid colors, black, beige, pink, navy, chestnut, cinnamon. So like I'm, I'm white. I'm pale. I'm like Casper's little sister. <laughs> but if you are lucky enough to have a little pigmentation, um, you can go beige, cinnamon, chestnut. They have all variations of skin tones that you could select. Um, if you like tattoos, they have funky little tattoo looking prints and designs. Um, I think I've heard there's a certain company and I don't remember who they are that you could basically design whatever you want it to look like, draw out your own tattoo or put your dogs on it or something. And they'll print up socks or make socks for you that are customized to what you want them. So it doesn't have to be a medical garment necessarily. It can be something that just fits your personality. And if you have, if you wear both, which it never really hurts to wear compression on the other leg, um, it just looks like a pair of funky socks. And so I'm thinking like if I had lymphedema and I had it, you know, well enough managed to where my legs weren't significantly different sizes, I would probably wear like a knee high. And then over my knee high, I would wear just like regular leggings and maybe like a tunic dress and some cute booties. Like that would be an outfit that I would probably wear going out. Nice. So it's a, you can conceal it. You can show it as much as you want. You can conceal it as much as you want. Um, but prints, styles, colors, there's all kinds of things out there. 
Yeah, and there's also a big idea if people don't want to go out. I mean, internet shopping is the way of the world nowadays. And there's a huge amount of compression, clothing and stockings, things you can actually find on Amazon. Um, I don't get paid by Amazon. I'm not an Amazon representative. I just don't like going in public and shopping. I just don't like people that much, to be honest with you. It is just one of my own things because it's stupid people deserve stupid comments. So <laughs> Amazon does have a bit of uh, compression where you can buy on there as well. And it also helps that... If you're able to talk your physician into prescribing the stockings, uh-huh. you some uh, actual insurance will allow you to be reimbursed from what you purchase. Correct. So that is an ISC to it as well. Um, like you said. I there, would like to add yeah. that if you are online shopping for your compression garments, you really want to have the correct measurements. So if you are ever buying something and it says you're this tall and you weigh this much and so you fall here on the scale, you need to wear a large, don't I would I don't ever recommend buying those because it's circumferential measurements that you need to be looking at. So you measure like the ball of your foot uh, right above the toes, the ankle, and then are kind of around the calf up near the knee up near the knee because those circumferential measurements are going to be specific to your leg size and it's going to correlate with the size on the compression chart just because i'm 5'5 five five and 150 pounds that's what i am right now that doesn't yeah. mean that my leg doesn't match that of a five foot 280 pound person you know what i mean Agreed. So I always recommend if you're buying online, make sure you have circumferential measurements, either from the therapist or you have someone there with you that can work a measuring tape and you guys at least YouTube or Google how to measure. I mean, heck, call me, message me on Instagram, whatever. I'll walk you guys through it. But I would rather someone do that than get stuck in something that's not going to help them at all. I 100% agree because there's a good chance you could pick up what you think is even the correct measurement, but it's not the right compression. Um, another good thing about online shopping is you can look at people's reviews. It could say that is a 20 to 30 uh, millimeters of mercury compression, but when the people that put it on, they can tell you, it says this, but I have 20 or 30 of these. This is too soft or it's too hard that right. the production company didn't do the right one for it. So it's good to physically see reviews. If you're looking for online shopping, ameswalker.com. It's one word, ameswalker. They have free shipping anywhere in the U.S. You can usually get a 5 or $10 off coupon. And they sell medical grade compression. So they sell brands like Juzo, Medi, Jopst, Faro Wraps, all these other companies. They sell their compression garments and you can usually buy them there for a discounted price. So I think in their case, it's almost like they get last season stuff and then they sell it. I'm not really sure how that works, but it's not, you usually can't get the most up-to-date garment, um, but it's a great option. Yeah, that's fantastic, especially for someone who's looking to find something on a budget because this is new to them or they're now having to slowly buy an entire 
new setup of clothing to go with them. And not that everyone wants to completely do that, but having an easier way of getting a more affordable way of getting into it is something that I think everyone wants to do, except for the people that want the new stuff today. Cause right. I, I don't know those people. They're not my friends. That's not me. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I think that's pretty much everything we've had to kind of go over, kind of seeing what was on there. I think the main thing that we actually didn't talk about would be like you had said, if people have questions, someone to talk to, who to go to, because any sort of diagnosis, whether it is considered minimal or massive, uh, everyone is going to have some sort of questions. People are going to typically become a little bit depressed about it, whether it's going to be inwardly or outwardly depressed. It tends to happen. Um, do you know of any sort of network support groups, things people can go to, to be able to talk to others in a similar situation as they are? Yes. And I definitely support, recommend, approve of community and accountability whenever it comes to your lymphedema journey, because it's not just a, okay, it's September. I was diagnosed with lymphedema. And now by December, I'm going to be fine. It is an every single day, every single minute of your life for the rest of your life, you are probably going to be reminded that you have lymphedema from your shoes not fitting, from your shirt not fitting, from pain, from fatigue, from any of those things that can come along with it. You need a way to process that and you need others who understand it. So some of the support groups or some of the people, I guess I would recommend, um, most of them are online. Um, the, the main one I would recommend is Limpy Strong, L-Y-M-P-H-I-E Strong. And they're on Facebook. Um, Veronica Senares has done a fabulous job as a primary slash hereditary lymphedema patient herself of creating a blog, which is um, limpystrong.com, I believe, is her blog. And she talks about her journey, her experiences. And then she has an online support group where people can come together. You can look at any of the topics that they have stored in their archives. You can look at any of the resources that she has listed on her website for the blog or on the Facebook page. Um, there's other communities on Facebook. I think the one I'm in is lymphedema support and awareness and it's just really good to be able to make a friend or read about other people's struggles because not necessarily that misery loves company but when you can't even ask your doctor a question and get a straight answer it's really comforting to be able to go on there and say hey I'm having this problem my doctor doesn't know what's going on have any of you had this symptom? Have any of you had any results or what did you do? And you'll usually get a lot of responses. I know nice. in some cases, some people are like, eh, good luck. I've never heard of that. But they really, they genuinely mean well. Or some people are like, you know, I'm having the same thing. I'm going to follow this thread. I'm going to try to keep up with it. <laughs> so it's a really good community for that. And there's others. Um, if you kind of get on Instagram, which I use Instagram a lot, um, I'm on there. I'm on Fidima podcast and I don't necessarily do support group type stuff, but I do post um, episodes that are specifically for lymphedema topics. So like tomorrow, 
might be a good one for your significant other because it's actually a blog interview. That's not the right word. It's actually a fashion <laughs> interview with the blogger. Um, her blog is Loving Life with Lymphedema. And she has lower extremity lymphedema. One leg she has named Bertha. And she just rolls <laughs> with it. So nice. there's a lot of, and it's usually women, so no offense to any men out there. But it's usually a lot of women who are just trying to build that community and get that support system going that we all really need. Yeah. And then some other educational websites or educational people I would recommend. Um, Joe Zuther, Z-U-T-H-E-R. He has a blog called Lymphedema Guru. And he is one of the founders of the American Lymphedema Programs. So his is the Academy of Lymphatic Studies. And I actually went through the Academy of Lymphatic Studies for my certifications. And his blog post, his articles, they're all really good. And he'll sometimes do like a Facebook live or do um, an educational video where he kind of just talks about um, things related to lymphedema. And those have always been very helpful. Um, But once you start looking, you'll find it. I mean, it's out there. Um, If you have kids, there's a lymphedema for kids group. Um, It's not really the kids. It's usually the parents that are in there, but there's all kinds. Makes sense. So, in essence, when it comes to talking, researching, I I fully support people talking to anyone for anything. Um, I get in trouble by everyone because I talk to everyone for no reason. It's kind of what I do. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to any sort of treatments and medical things, it's really easy to talk to people. And unfortunately, our society has become more afraid to talk to people person to person, eye to eye, face to face, however you want to say it. So everyone's now a bunch of keyboard warriors which I think mm-hmm. really helps a community of people that are afraid to ask doctors questions. A lot of people don't want to go to the doctor in the first place because they're afraid of getting a negative response or a negative result. So you can go to a lot of online support groups, communities, make friends with people and learn things about others and yourself that you didn't have the strength or willingness or readiness at some points to ask a physician. So a lot of this stuff is really great to be able to have resources online because that's where most of us are. We carry phones in our pockets that are computers. That's what we do. And so I think that is a great resource for a lot of people to have. Um, so I think a majority of the ideas we talked about and in conclusion to kind of sum everything up for us is lymphedema itself is a disease. It can either be onset by a traumatic injury to a limb or it can be hereditary. There are tests that can show uh, if you're going to have it. Uh, you said that was the lymphoskin skin uh, topography. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's more if you have lymphedema or if you have the genetic factor, they can map your lymphatics as they're functioning. So they put a radioactive dye in there. They um, image it every so many minutes and they can basically see the path that the lymphatic fluid takes. Okay. And that'll kind of see if there's any pockets or localization areas where it's more heavy than others that could cause potential later swelling. Correct. Right. Okay, so we've got kind of an 
diagnosis to be able to see where you might have it, if you could potentially have it, or if you already have it, then the idea from that point is essentially a treatment plan. Uh, there is no cure-all. There's no magic pill. There's no magic surgery that can definitively cure this at this point in time. That doesn't mean there won't be. That doesn't mean that I'm not trying to find it. But at this point, the best idea is treatment. And the best treatment right. is going to be, as you said, preventative measures. So it is uh, the lymphatic massage. It is compression. It is therapy. Uh, physical therapy for this specific uh, disease is a great thing for it. And from my understanding, it's also working out, trying to keep your body flowing and moving in good form. Right. So is there anything else that uh, we haven't talked about that you think would be a significant addition to the listeners for this? I would say, yes, that the best thing when it comes to your lymphedema journey, the best things to have is your knowledge or education and just a kick-ass attitude. That's really just the two best things that you could get because if you are prone to depression or anxiety, this is going to cause depression and it's going to increase your anxiety because it is a chronic illness. And so before you can take care of your physical self, you need to be able to take care of your mental health. And so I would say that you really have to get the right mindset to be able to manage it because you have to stay on top of it. It's not a, I'm going to go see my therapist for six weeks. I'm going to have great results. And then forever, I'll just wear these socks and I'll never have a bad day. Um, Some days you're going to swell more than others. Some days it's going to be a little more painful than others. And you may have the cycle where you have to go see your therapist or your massage therapist or whoever you're seeing for your lymphedema treatment periodically. It's not just a, okay, thank you for your service. Goodbye. I'm never going to see you again. It's a cycle and the cycle repeats. So the more education you can get for yourself, the more you can become comfortable with the journey and just knowing like, hey, this is never going to necessarily end, but I can manage it. And if I stay on top of it from the beginning and I continue to manage it, then I will have a better quality of life. I'll have a happier, more comfortable future. And it doesn't have to be something that, like we said in the beginning, it doesn't have to be something that is a death sentence. And it doesn't have to define you. It's not who you are as a person. It's just something that you're on a journey for. Right. Which are we all on some kind of journey? I mean, we've got something every day weighing all of us down. This is true. Mine tends to be more funny than others because I laugh at everything. Other than that, (laughs) it is what it is. And it's something that nothing came down on someone. It's not a negative part. But if your mindset isn't there and you're stuck in the negative part, this is where the groups and the people that are dealing with it with you have a better idea because you're not talking to somebody that has nothing to do with what you're going through. They're going through the exact same thing. Absolutely. And those are usually the best people to help talk you out of your bad day. Exactly. All right. So, Betty, we have you all over the place. We've got you at lymphedema. Uh, podcast.com. You're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, do you want to let these uh, folks know what your handles are for those guys? So on mostly everything, I'm lymphedema podcast. Um, on Twitter, I think I'm lymphedema. Nope. I am lymph 
podcast. <laughs> and I rarely get on Twitter, so I really apologize. Um, I try to post some stuff there, but I have like two followers. So I'm like, <laughs> what's the point? I mean, maybe I think I got a new one today. So I might be up to three or four. Well, there you go. And after uh, this episode airs, we'll see how far we can get you because uh, the rant with Herman James's friend is actually a global podcast. And we get retweeted from anywhere down to Australia all the way up to South Korea into England. We've got a few guys up in that area, Spain and across the United States. So uh, we'll see if we can't get you some more listeners on there as well. But we'll also nice. have your podcast on thehermanjames.com. We'll have it being the featured podcast of the week when this episode airs and all of your social media as well as your website will be listed in the podcast description so anyone can click on those as well or check out the rants social media pages. We'll have her tagged in all of those as well. So be sure to click and check in with Betty. Drop her some comments, become some followers, grow the community that she's trying to help out to help everyone else in the same issue. I love it. I want to thank you for coming on, Betty. I Hopefully we can do this again and we'll have some more fun with it. But I really appreciate you educating me and educating the followers we had on here. You're welcome. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You have a wonderful day in Texas. Mm-hmm. Being diagnosed with a disease or disorder isn't a life sentence. It isn't something that is going to define an individual. It is something that is put in your way to test you, to make you feel overwhelmed so that you can overcome it. Now, there are tons of diseases and diagnoses that just don't have a cure right now. But there are multiple reasons for that. One is because either the technology hasn't got there and the intellect hasn't been put there for it, or the fact that there is no money in a cure. There's only money in a diagnosis. When it comes to lymphedema, there has been a bunch of leaps and bounds in the realm of being able to cure and not just band-aid a disease and diagnosis. You're actually able to see significant increases in medical procedures and everything that actually helps reduce swelling and people are seeing great great results in what's happening now it doesn't mean that it's going to be an instant cure there's no instant pill or instant fix for anything that doesn't mean you got to give up on yourself and give up on the world there's no reason to feel ostracized or that you were the only one suffering from something at that point in time we are a global community there are numerous websites, forums, in-person meetups, and everything in between of people with the exact same diagnosis or situation that you're in or you have. There's no reason to not reach out to others. It's scary as fuck to be alone and isolated and to be giving a diagnosis that scares the shit out of you. I know. I was told I had cancer. Turns out I didn't, but I was still scared shitless. There's nothing put on this earth that can stop you. The mental strength of anyone can overcome anything. The placebos in this world have been proven to have better results than any narcotic out there. And this has been confirmed by hundreds of studies on different 
pharmacology departments and different fucking meds. That just proves it is really mind over matter. Yeah, you might not be able to change your physical appearance by just feeling like it is that way, but that doesn't mean you have to feel bad about yourself for anything. Everyone is their own individual, their own person. Whether you're like me and you got a big fucking mouth and you tell everyone to go fuck yourselves because that's what you do. Or if you're just a quiet individual who wants to not be seen by everybody. You can do whatever you want to do. Put your mind to it. But that doesn't mean you have to succumb to a diagnosis of any sort just because a doctor said so. We see it every day that if you have enough money, and most of us don't, you can beat anything. AIDS, cancer, HIV, I know it's also AIDS, and everything in between. Life-threatening disorders and diseases have been cured because celebrities and rich fucks pay the right person to give them what is needed. That just proves there is a cure for just about everything. So why just give in? Why just give up? There's no reason to. Find the right people. Surround yourself with the right people. Don't let negative people into your life. Don't listen to the negative hype out there. We live in a world where everyone is bringing somebody down because they're insecure. They feel bad about themselves. And when they see someone that they feel is inferior to who they are, they have to bring them down because that makes them feel better and can lift them up. Don't let those fucks in your life. Don't listen to those fucks. Don't listen to anything about that. Be your own individual and find yourself the people that can help you. And then what you'll find out is after a little while, you'll be that person for somebody else. You'll be helping other people because you've educated yourself. You've pushed yourself to not just be a small number or figure in some sort of fucking statistical analysis. You're being the individual that overcame. You're the outlier, not the fucking crowd. That's what you need to be. Be the one that stands out. Be the one that everyone points to. And be the one that beats the odds. Because that, that's going to be what helps you. Because you helping you to do that, other people see that. They see you. They want to be you. They know you can do it. So can they. Find that person who you want to be like. Talk to them. See if they can mentor you or see if you can mimic what they have done to get to where they are in their mental state, maybe physical state, or even within the diagnosis, and then pass them. Make them want to be you. Make their friends, their crowds, their people want to be your people and in your circle to follow you. That's how you lift yourself up. That's how you overcome a diagnosis. That's how you don't succumb to it. We live in a world where everyone is supposed to fear everything. WebMD says you're going to get cancer and die no matter what you put in there. That just goes to show you that our whole medical industry is set to build you up on fear, scare you, make you pay to have pills, surgeries, therapies, and things you might not need. Because if you take the right steps in the right direction, you can overcome things and no longer have to pay them so that they can get rich and you stay in a rut. That's not how this has to be. You don't have to be that person. Don't let them be that person. Find the right way to be the right person, to lift yourself up, 
And when you get up, you reach down and you pick the other ones up with you. You don't have to be alone in this world. You're not alone now. You're not going to be alone later. You are with a group of people and can always be with the people that are there to hold you up, lift you up, because they know you're going to help other people along. Don't listen to the negative fucks of this world, and when you have to see them, don't go fuck themselves, because they don't know what the fuck's going on in your world. You don't have to give a fuck about their world. That's how it should be. Well, that's about all the time I've got for this episode. I want to thank Betty for coming on. It was great to meet you. Uh, she's a fantastic, wonderful, beautiful person. Definitely check out her website. That's lymphedemapodcast.com. If you don't know how to spell it, look at your phone. It's in the title. Or you can just click this podcast description. We have all of her social media. That's her Facebook, her Instagram, her Twitter, as well as the websites in there. We also have some of the support groups that she put in there as well, like Limp Strong, and everything else we talked about in this podcast is going to be there. Also go to thehermanjames.com, click on the featured podcast, which is Betty Westbrook's Lymphedema Podcast. Don't forget to check out my friends on the No Funny Podcast Network, and I can't wait to be in your ears next time.